Welcome to episode number 35 of Reflections from WT. My name is Randy Ray. I'm your host. I'm joined today by a couple of guys I have a lot of respect for. The 11th president of West Texas A&M, Dr. Absolutely. Walter Windler, and uh, vice president for philanthropy and external relations, Dr. Todd Raspberry. Good morning. Morning. So I'm, I'm excited about our topic today. And I think we have a lot of information to share. Let's talk about One West. And I want to start out by reading something that I read on our the, the WT website. I, I, th- I think this really en- encapsulate, encapsulates it very well. One vision, one spirit, one Texas, 26 counties, millions of stories, countless ideas and opportunities. And still, after more than 100 years, there's one vision, one spirit, one way forward. For the Panhandle, for Texas, for the world, and for the next 100 years, there will always be. One West. What is One West? I don't know, but it brings a tear to my eye. <laughs> it was my dramatic reading, wasn't it? Yeah, is that was, what did it? Was it was yeah. a dramatic reading. <laughs> I'll let Todd address that. I think uh, Todd has worked diligently with his people, and they've got a great group over there that are really trying to communicate the deep values of uh, West Texas and West Texas A&M. And uh, I know he'll have a, a view of that. And then after Todd speaks, I'll say a word. Okay. Well, you did a great job, Randy, of reading that. The dramatic <laughs> reading was Our great. Practice. It was good. Yeah. Um, we... we Worked very hard um, when we started planning the campaign. We planned for almost four years uh, for this campaign um, in various stages. Um, two years, we were really in the development and staffing stage. And all along, we knew that the the backbone of our campaign was WT-125, From the Panhandle mm-hmm. to the World, which is our long-range plan. And this really is the fuel for that campaign. So as we began planning... Um, we were looking for those identifying characteristics from WT-125 that resonated both on the campus but across the region as well. And what became very clear is this, and I tell Dr. Windler this often, this concept that he develops and he talks about so often is regionalism as a defining characteristic. Most often at regional institutions, you hear you don't hear them talk about regionalism because they think it's a limiting characteristic. Mm-hmm. And so it was very unique um, to hear him talk about that. And he embodies that in many ways as our leader, obviously, one of them, is that he's throughout the panhandle and the communities of the region constantly, just finishing up his school tour. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has really worked hard to let people across the panhandle know that this is their university and we have a responsibility to them. So with those kind of concepts in mind, we were really looking for branding our campaign in a way that was very identifiable. Easy was West. (laughs) We're West Texas A&M University. Um, The name has changed five times, but it's always (laughs) been WT. He's always been in there, yeah. Um, And so it was nice to be able to have an identifying logo and a brand that kept the West in there. And then, as you and I know, we're in West Texas, but there's also this larger concept that we were trying to capture, um, and that is this notion or this kind of idea of the West that people think about. It's that romantic notion of the West um, as as you think about it. Um, So with those kind of ideas in mind, we've landed on this One West idea. No matter where we are in time, it's still the One WT, and we're still in the One West, uh, the West as we know it and love it. Dr. Windler, I know that uh, this 
WT125 was something that you're very passionate about, still are. How does that tie into this? Well, as, uh, as uh, Dr. Asbury said, it, it uh, you know, in many ways, the foundation for the One West campaign. But I, I really do believe this, uh, this unapologetic regional focus, it, it defines the campaign in the same way that it defines WT. And I am so pleased when I go visit high schools. Just recently, I visited the 67th high school in this tour, which is the last one. It happened to be in uh, Channing. Uh, and on the way back, I thought, you know, there's some remarkable things about these schools and the communities that compose the Texas Panhandle. Uh, one is that they're all different. They have their own, in a sense, micro regions within their tremendous school pride. The principals in some of these small schools, the principals know every kid, my mm -hmm. student kid, you know, um, they know them all. They know their families. They know the hardships that some of them had to overcome. They know the advantages that some of them are blessed with. And that mix uh, goes into a pressure cooker called the public school out there in a small community. And it, it uh, brews a uh, result that's positive for all. And it's remarkable. I was in Kelton, uh, Four seniors, and I'm happy to report that 50% of the senior class is coming to WT, <laughs> which is, you know, both of them, and it's just, uh, it's remarkable. And they, they're attached to the university. Many of the faculty, the teachers and administrators uh, come from those universities. And I consider it to be an important charge for me, for Todd, for Neil Terry, for all of the vice presidents to make sure we sustain the best parts of the value systems that make up this region because they're distinctive. We will be distinctive, not because we declare it, but because we hold on to these deep-seated values. You know, a hard work, a commitment to family, commitment to community, sense of personal responsibility. I got a list of 10 of them. I'm not going to go through it. But the bottom line is they're there. And that defines, in my mind, Todd and his folks' vision of One West. Dr. Raspberry, let me ask you, so your position here at WT, you're over the campaign. What what background do you have? What 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 makes you want to do that? <laughs> and tell me about your life uh, at WT and your background. Yeah. Um, well, so I, when I got here, it was almost three decades in higher ed, all of it in the fundraising side. That was not my vision of what I would be doing in higher ed. Uh, I thought I would do fundraising a little while while I finished a terminal degree and then I'd do something else. Uh, but I fell in love with it because um, it really is, I say this often to my staff, we are the tail of the dog. We don't wag the dog. You don't have to have a fundraising organization at a university in order to be a university. Mm -hmm. So, But what we do, what we provide, and it's even more important now than it might have been 50 or 100 years ago, is the fuel for the vision and the plan of a university. Yeah. Because uh, if you don't have the public-private partnership in public education, it's very, very hard to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish and fulfill the vision like we have in WT-125. So I started out in the fundraising world hating it at first because I thought you should never talk about money, but quickly learning that people want to support things that matter to them and they want to be part of something larger than themselves. And education is easy for us in this country because most of us have benefited in one way or another, directly or indirectly, from uh, 
the life-changing experience of higher education. So I came here, thanks to Dr. Wendler. Um, and <laughs> from where, where did you come from? So we were in Kentucky, Central Kentucky, Kentucky, at a small private liberal arts college, Georgetown College. I'd gone there with a new president, went there because they were financially in trouble and he needed somebody to come and help him raise money. That's another story. That was the hardest job I've ever done. But um, we had a grandbaby born. We wanted to come back to Texas there in Lubbock. And I mm -hmm. told my bride, we could be further away in Texas than we are now in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I got to go where there's a job. And I had a friend, a friend of Dr. Wendler's, um, who I had worked with at a previous institution, who uh, said, I think Wendler at WT is looking for somebody. Are you interested? And I said, well, you know what? I think I am. <laughs> um, and stepping foot on this campus, I hadn't been on this campus in a long time, Randy, and I didn't recognize the yeah. place. It had just transformed um, in such an exciting way. And then visiting with Dr. Wendler and Dr. Brad Johnson, who was the chair of the search committee, about how WT was envisioning itself and what it was accomplishing was very, very exciting. And uh, I'd just come from a place that uh, we were working really hard to save it from the accrediting agency closing the doors mm -hmm. because of uh, being out of financial compliance. Um, and then hearing this kind of renewed vision for what higher ed, particularly regional higher education could be, was very, very energizing. Um, and I've just continued to be excited about it. What what really is makes my job easier is the right people are excited about it. Mm -hmm. Our alumni, the people in the community who want to support the kind of vision that's been created here. And that really is what our campaign is doing. It's the fuel for WT125. And, you know, the success really needs to go to, for our campaign, needs to go to our donors because they're the ones that make it successful. But we do have a great group of people who are working very hard to help share that vision. Well, when we come back, I want to talk about that fuel a little bit more. And I want to talk about those three critical areas that you guys are focusing on uh, when it comes to One West. We'll be back in one minute. West Texas A&M University is proud to call the Texas Panhandle home, and providing the top 26 counties with opportunity and qualified graduates is an important WT mission. From their first experience on campus to graduation day, the WT experience is a challenging series of steps that will embolden our students to reach their full potential, and then, in turn, go out into the Panhandle and make a difference. Quality education with a big local return is one thing you can find here at WT. For more information about West Texas A&M University, visit our website at WTAMU. West Texas A&M University is a student body that learns by doing and is always seeking opportunity. Talented and accomplished faculty that teach both in and out of the classroom. Programs that provide timeless information and meet the challenges of today's world. Facilities rich in technology as well as WT history. Now is the time to strengthen connections and open doors for tomorrow's leaders. Share your experience, share your heritage, share your pride. Welcome back to Reflections from WT. We are talking about the new campaign, One West. And the ultimate goal is to raise $125 million, uh, and we've already raised $80 million of that. But of our goal of $125 million, we have three critical areas, people, programs, and places. Would you guys speak to that just a little bit? I'll speak first to the general uh, subdivision of those. Those are the things, people first, always, 
the programs that those people create and the places that they create them in, you know, that covers the full um, range of campus uh, resources. And of course, people are always the most important. And the focus on this campaign, and, and we are receiving gifts and will continue to receive gifts related to places and programs, there's no question about it. But we are interested in endowments for faculty and for student scholarships to support our people. This becomes um, increasingly important for students because of the cost of education that continues to rise due to inflation and many other things. We're, we're cautious about how we spend money, but, but we've still got to pay our faculty and we have to put gas in the cars and you know, turn the lights on and so on and so forth. So uh, we believe that this public-private partnership that Todd so frequently talks about can actually help reduce the cost to students. And we are expanding our... Uh, scholarships uh, for students. And then endowed professorships, it's hard for us to compete with major uh, land-grant universities and flagships and so on to attract the best faculty. But the recognition that's brought to a faculty member through an endowed position, even if it's a modest endowment, uh, is very valuable. It's the nature of the, of the profession. I've been in this, I've been teaching students on and off uh, mostly on since 1975 when I started teaching it at uh, LSU. And faculty appreciate the recognition for their good efforts that comes from, you know, um, um, being rewarded with something like a, uh, an endowed uh, professorship. So these two things are critical uh, in my mind to the campaign. But we are funding programs, and you'll see and hear about some of these uh, as we move along, and places, uh, facilities on the campus and so on that support our activities. Uh, you're going to see a lot. And, uh, you know, we'll, we're going to, I, I say, and it makes Todd nervous when I say it, but we're going to, we're going to get to that $125 million ahead of schedule. I, I, I can promise you that it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. Dr. Raspberry, what's the hardest part of your job? Well, the thing that we have the least control over is timing. Um, we don't we don't make decisions for our donors. They decide when they're going to give and what they're going to give. This is a comprehensive campaign, by the way. So if you give a philanthropic gift to anything at WT during this campaign, it counts. So we want to make sure that we have structured. And when Dr. Windler and I visited early on, you know, this isn't his first campaign as a university president. We talked about the importance of that, being able to say to our donors, what's passionate to you and what is it you want to invest in? So we've structured it where that works. We do have priorities, as you have mentioned, and Dr. Wendler has mentioned, people being our first priority. Um, so the hardest part of my job is being patient um, and knowing that my timing is irrelevant <laughs> in my work. It's always the donor's timing. Um, but that's okay, too, um, because we want to make sure that we don't get one gift from a donor, but we get a lifetime of gifts from a donor. So when they give the money, the work really just begins for us because we have to steward that where they feel good about it. They see how it's making a difference and they want to do that again. And I could share with you story after story of people who have given money and say their life has been transformed by it right here at WT. Oh, yeah. And it's a lot of fun to hear those stories. Yeah, you mentioned before our break that you said it's, it's probably – more important than it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And, and I know that to be true because when I went to school here as an undergrad, we really heard very little about fundraising. W would both of you say something about uh, how important it is and how little funding we get from the government now? 
I'll go ahead and start. Um, and I've looked at this very carefully. Uh, some public universities in America, if you look at their total budget, all of their expenditures, less than 10% come from public sources. Mm. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Nine, the vast majority, and that comes, keeps going down. Doesn't it, it keeps going yeah. down. Then uh, the vast majority come from uh, you know tuition and fees, from gifts, from grants, from contracts, from auxiliaries. You know, from selling coffee cups to all kinds of things. Universities are um, they're a business. Uh, there's yeah, a, yeah. and they're a very special kind of business. No different than a house of worship. There, you have to keep the lights on and make sure the bills are paid. Um, but, but, and the state used to own that. And I'm not being critical of Texas or any other state because the cost of education keeps elevating. People are expecting more. Uh, and, um, you know, we have to be cautious. We have to be, uh, mindful of how we, uh, utilize resources. But I can tell you this 40 years ago, 70% of, uh, WT's budget came from the state of Texas. So going back to what I said, when I was an undergrad, 70%, now it's 10%. That's, well, it's not 10 here. It's closer to 30. And the smaller, more, the regional institutions like ours still tend to rely more heavily on state funding because development funds are, are a little bit more challenging to raise at smaller institutions. Right. Yeah. They don't have, you know, some of the, the uh, kind of big name recognition, you know, our football stadium, stadium seats, um, 8,000. When you see the 100,000, it changes the nature of the institution. You know, it's mm -hmm. just a different kind, not better or worse. Just different, yeah. And uh, so I, I, th I think that's one of the reasons, the primary reason that. But that's not a lament about the state of Texas. In many ways, I think the state of Texas has done a great job in sustaining our funding. I just looked at some figures the other day, and we are dead on the national average for how the state supports higher education. But uh, we, when I look at like indebtedness, our indebtedness is below the national average. So we're doing a. I think we're doing a good job. I think. Uh, and that's a combination of the state house and the universities working hard to give value for the dollar. Well, I, I know I'm speaking for everyone that has a love for WT. Thank you both for helping us keep the lights on, helping us keep students coming back and taking care of our uh, beautiful campus. Dr. Raspberry, I always throw a curveball to all of our guests. All right. And are you ready? Hold on. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, I, I was talking to our uh, engineer, Johnny Story, this morning. And he says, I had a good idea. Uh-oh, that's trouble right there. I know this guy. That's trouble. <laughs> he said, get them to talk about their favorite Christmas tradition, because this, this is going to air right before Christmas. So what's your favorite Christmas tradition in your family? And again, the silence is Yeah, stunning. no, I know mine. I was waiting for Dr. Wendler. Um, so I don't know how this started. Um, this is in my little nuclear family with my daughters and now my grandkids, but Somewhere along the way, very early, um, we started everywhere we went, um, and for things that were meaningful, we started collecting Christmas ornaments. Yeah. And so when we put up our Christmas tree, it's bad. When we take it down, it's really bad because everything has its own box. But we probably have 500 ornaments that we've just collected, and all of them have a little story behind them. And so I don't know if my daughters like this or not, but every year they get at least one Christmas ornament that means something, um, either related to a life experience or just something that's meaningful to all of us. Yeah, some of my favorite ornaments on our tree are the ones that the kids made 30 years ago, yeah. 35 I've years ago. I've got those, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we have those, too. 
Dr. Windler? Mine's a little different. It's not about something that we alone as a family do, but it really is about the the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. That's so important to us. And uh, we we work diligently to stay focused on that because it's hard with all the bright lights Mm -hmm. and the food and the gift giving and everything. And I think our tradition is to really uh, pay attention to the origins of our faith in Christ and make that the center of, of what we do on the holiday to the best of our ability. That, and by the way, we eat plenty. I don't eat as much as I used to. Uh, um, it, it just <laughs> things change, you know, everything changes. Uh, and we, of course, exchange gifts and do all of those things. But to me, uh, what's really important is the namesake of the holiday, yeah. Jesus Christ. That's our tradition. Well, thank you guys for How sharing. about yours? Wait, we, you yeah, can't. Yeah, you know, well, hey, good I, for you. That old Todd, I'm glad he's here. We yeah. always give up. What's yours? Yeah. We always, Christmas Eve, my wife always, we always have a special kind of, uh, it, it, it involves food, you know. We yeah, have, yeah. And for some reason, it's always shrimp. I don't know. So shrimp on Christmas Eve, I don't know where that came Sounds from. Sounds Cajun to me. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. But that's what we always do right before we open gifts. We have a, a shrimp boil. So, oh, interesting. Kind of odd, but, do you open but, the gifts on Christmas Eve? We do, yeah. And then, but, you know. Oh, man. He's a heathen. <laughs> we all, I did that. My wife did that growing up. Always you open gifts on Christmas Eve, and then Santa comes, you know, and then that's Christmas morning. Hey, that's a West thing, by the way. Is it? I think that's a West thing. Did y'all do that? We did. Yeah. Well, we had multiple Christmases because we all lived in the same town. Mm-hmm. So grandmother's house with one side of the family, yeah, we, Christmas Eve and Christmas right, Day. Right. So, But I look at my wife's family, and they were Christmas morning people. Um, but they kind of wanted to be Easterners, so. <laughs> well, we, we were that too, but, you know, it was old world stuff. That, But when I, until I was in high school, this is almost a little embarrassing to admit, I never saw a Christmas tree set up in our house until Christmas morning. That's right. My parents set that's it up right. after we went to bed. Really? Yeah. New Year's, uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah. That's right. That's when they set it up. And, <laughs> and it you was, left uh, it up 12 days of Christmas. Yeah, we left it up a long time until all the needles were falling off. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the bottom line is... Uh, that was a tradition. We don't maintain that tradition. Uh, you know, archery's been up since Halloween now. I mean, <laughs> just, just about. But it's um, it that was a powerful tradition in our family. And my and my father, you know, we came from a working class family. My father would go out on Christmas Eve and buy the tree. And I'll tell you what, a dollar will get you a whole lot on Christmas Eve <laughs> when you're talking yeah. about Christmas trees. Yeah. Almost as good as a baby when you're hiring a fundraiser. <laughs> but at any rate, it was, a, you know, it was a... Um, That was a kind of a tradition in the family. So the house, for that 24-hour period on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, it was energized with getting everything ready. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on behalf of everyone at West Texas A&M University, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We will see you next year.